0: There's no clicker. Oh, there it is. Which way? Oh, the up arrows. What your car wants you to know. Your car is an appliance. Is this too loud? Okay. It's loud in my head. Maybe that's it. (laughs) So what's that? What does it do? It washes your clothes. And arrow. What's that? It's a car. <laughs> and what do cars do for us? Point A to point B. That's their job. That's their entire job. It doesn't matter what kind of car it is, if it fails to get you from point A to point B, it's not doing its job. doesn't matter if the window doesn't roll up or down or the AC doesn't work. It's still just a car. It doesn't matter. Okay. What's that? It's a washing machine. It still only does one thing. Just like that is still just a car. <laughs> a silly car. <laughs> so Anyway, so basically that's what we have. We have cars. We've had cars for 100 years, and they still only do one thing. They get us to where we want to go. But like our phones, we've added a lot of options to them. And so, um, yeah. So the biggest thing about cars for y'all is cars cost money. They cost a lot of money. You know, it's like your house, your health insurance, and your car. Those are the big three expenses in your life. And cars cost a lot of money. So I was thinking about, how much do cars cost money? So I started, started digging on the internet, and um, none of us do this, but some people buy brand new cars. And when you buy brand new cars, they depreciate like crazy. The first year, I, I can't walk over there, but anyway, the first year, you lose $6,000. This is assuming you bought a, a brand new Camry which was $30,000. The next year, it's worth $24,000. And the next year, you lose $2,000. And it just goes down and down and down until it finally basically just stops depreciating around 15 years old. And that's where most of my customers are. They're dead. <laughs> their cars don't depreciate because they're already at the bottom type of thing. <laughs> right. So, um, and then you add to that. Oh, up um, uh. oh, there we go. I'm going the wrong way. I should be looking at this one. Anyway, um, repair costs. The older your car gets, the more it's going to cost you to keep that car. Things are going to break more. Literally new cars... New cars are so incredible. The maintenance that's required is so little these days. You just basically change your oil and put tires on it for like the first 100,000 miles. And I'm like, wow, these things are so good compared to what they used to be. Um, And then after your car gets so old, then the repair costs start coming down. Tell me why. Nope. Nope, nope, that's not it. What's that? You stop fixing things. <laughs> it's not that your car doesn't it's not that your car doesn't need things, but it's like, well, how many windows need to work? Well only, only one window needs to work. The driver's window. The rest we'll just block those up with pieces of wood is what I normally do. <laughs> no. Yeah. The car still gets you from A to B. It just makes horrible noises. So unfortunately, there's a lot of cars out there like that. So then you put all these costs together. So the repair costs and fuel, fuel doesn't ever change. Well, I guess gas prices change, but you can't really calculate that because you don't know which way it's going to go. But basically, your fuel cost is the same every single year. So you put all these together. You put all these together. See the very bottom, that straight line? That's your gas. It's $1,200 a year, roughly. You're paying $100 a month in gas, and it doesn't change. Your repair costs go up, and your depreciation goes down. Look how small the repair costs are compared to the depreciation. So buying a newer car is really nice, but most of your cost is gonna be related to the fact that your car is losing money as you drive it type of thing, but they are really cool. So anyway, um, so some cars are cheaper than other cars, and some cars are really expensive. So one way to save money, like that repair cost, if you bought like a, a Mini, <laughs> which are fun little cars, but you would basically double your repair cost. <laughs> it just European cars cost a lot more than other cars, and m- some Japanese cars are cheaper than other cars. I think Toyotas and Hondas are like at the bottom of the list. And yeah, other cars are down there. You can, there's tons of stuff on the internet about which cars are going to cost you money. But a lot of those surveys are, are, are um, catered towards newer cars. So a lot of the survey stuff you're seeing on there, oh, this is the best car. Subarus never cost you any money. Yes, in the first 100,000 miles, they never cost you any money. But after 100,000 miles, oh, that's when they start. So, yeah. Um, And just like your phone, your phone is basically to make their phone calls. But when you start adding all the gadgets to it, then things start breaking more. And the more expensive phones can cost you more money. Same with cars. You put all those gadgets on your car. Like, example would be... um, What's that? Navigation. So um, Eric's brother had a Sienna, and the the radio is a radio. Oh, but it's a backup camera. Oh, it's got navigation built into it. And then one day, it went black. No radio, no backup camera, no navigation. And that we called up the dealer, and it was like $2,500 to replace that. Oh, well, just go down to Circuit City and get, well, Audio Express and get the nicest radio they have and he went there and they came back says they can't Integrate the backup camera the navigation and the radio into one unit So he sent it off and had it fixed for a thousand dollars I know gadgets they cost you money all that fancy touchscreen stuff and, and the other thing I was gonna say Touchscreens electronics in cars are more heavy-duty than any other electronics you're ever going to own they have so much abuse going on bumpy roads heat cold everything so they're really really well built but they still break anyway uh yeah so what do i got no maintenance this is where a lot of your cost comes from what is what is what do you need to do to keep your car from breaking what do you need to make make your car last longer so, the washing machine, one of my favorite appliances, there's no maintenance. I can never be like, I take it to the washing machine repair guy and say, it broke, and he, he can't say to me, oh, you didn't clean out your... There's no maintenance on a washing machine. You just, you can't possibly, you can overload it. But that's all you could ever do to the washing machine is just, yeah, anyway. And don't put dishwashing soap in it. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> Found that out in college, so... <laughs> So so where do you find out what's needed on your car? Where do you look? In your glove box, all the answers are in there. In your glove box, it has, your your owner's manual has a maintenance schedule. And every so often it tells you, oh, you need to do this. And then, oh, when you get to 30,000 miles, oh, you got to do all this other work. And then you get to 60,000 miles, you got to do that again. And then we added some more and stuff. So, you know, you go to the grease monkey or whatever, and you get your oil changed. Oh, we need to do all this. And you look in your owner's manual and it says, no, no, I don't. I don't need to do all that because it says right here. So the other thing I was going to talk about, the 30,000-mile services, it's, it's most of them are like inspect, 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 inspect. Yeah. You go to the dealer and they charge you $300 to look at things and change your oil. So it's like, all right, do you really need to do all that? I I don't go around and tighten bolts on the chassis, you know, every 30,000 miles. It's not really needed. Most of that stuff is like a good mechanic, change your oil, look over the car. Oh, everything looks fine. Oh, you're going to need brakes soon or something like that. So... Yeah, this is a good guideline. And uh, there's a lot of things about oil changes. Ooh, is that a picture? Oh, oil changes, right there. Um, If you read on the internet, they'll say, you don't need to change your oil every 3,000 miles. That's a myth. It's a myth, and yet it's true. You do need to change your oil every 3,000 miles, because none of you are driving back and forth to Phoenix every day. You're driving around Tucson, stop and go, city traffic, hauling things, short trips air conditioning on all the time, so your oil wears out. And so if you have conventional oil, three 5,000 miles, synthetic, 7,000, 10,000 miles. If you, have a, if you buy a brand new BMW, it has an oil life monitor on it And my friends have told me, if you followed their oil life monitor, because BMW doesn't want you to spend a lot of money on maintenance, because then you won't like your BMW. So you like changing your oil every 15,000, 25,000 miles, or something like that. You get 100,000 miles on it, out of the warranty, your engine's worn out. It's it's not enough. So yeah, talk to your mechanic, but most cars, you need to change it more often. Um, This is what happens when you change your oil regularly. You take off the valve cover, it's so clean and pretty in there. And if you don't, (laughs) I did one this last week and uh, they hadn't changed their oil regularly and it turns out the engine started smoking horribly and it was this engine. It was a Toyota V6 and the valve cover had sludged up and it would fill up with oil in this baffle area. And the PCV valve would just suck that oil down the engine and burn it like crazy. So we took it off, and it, it looked nasty like that. And we cleaned the valve cover and put it all back together, and now it doesn't smoke anymore. But the owner still, he's going to put some cleaner in there and try to make that not look like that anymore. So, yeah, it's your biggest investment. You should try to take care of that thing. So, um, Timing belts. Most of your cars probably don't have timing belts. About half of I don't know. It's getting better. The newer the cars, the less chance you have a timing belt. Timing belt is a rubber belt that attaches the top of your engine to the bottom of the engine, and they have to be perfectly timed. And they're usually changed seven years, 100,000 miles. But in the desert, we have the heat issue, and Honda recommends 60,000 miles in the desert. I think that's a little extreme, but if your outer belt, if your serpentine belt has cracks in it, Well, they're made of the same rubber and they were put on at the same time. You should probably change your timing belt. And if you don't, well... (laughs) If you don't, you're going to be tearing your engine apart and repairing it. And some of that is like, yeah, $2,000, $1,500 to repair it. But uh, you buy a used car. It has a timing belt on it. You don't have a record of when it was done, You don't know when it was done. You don't know when it's going to break. You have to do it out of fear. So, yeah. So you buy a Honda because it's a good car. You're spending another $500 on a timing belt. Yes, Keith. Or else. else. (sighs) Yes. (laughs) That's true. Yeah. So, uh, luckily, most of the new cars are all timing chains. And you never have to deal with those as long as you change your oil regularly. Um, Actually... The new, new, new cars are really high-tech. Turbocharged, little tiny engines and stuff like that. And we're seeing in the mechanics journals they're talking about, even with changing your oil regularly, if you don't buy really good quality oil, the timing chains are wearing out. And I'm like, oh. So they're getting fancier and fancier, but they're having problems. So, synthetic So, yeah, we're getting to high mileage oil. So, yeah. Uh, spark plugs. Most spark plugs are every hundred to 120,000 miles. Some cars have them every 30,000 miles. When they're 30,000 miles, I like to tell people, let me put the platinum iridium plugs in there so you can skip that and go up to 100,000 to 120,000 miles because some of them are really easy to change. Some of them are really hard to change, so... Luckily, they're usually only every 100, 120,000 miles, and uh, yeah, that's not really an issue. That's it's really low. When 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 I was a kid, 12,000 miles, you had to change your plugs. So, and checking your oil, I would say most of you never check your oil. So, uh, (laughs) at least before you drive to Phoenix, check your oil. Check. Check your tire pressures. So um, tire pressure things have this new gadget Obama passed into law, the tire pressure monitor system. Every new car has this, has little sensors in your wheels. And unfortunately, half the time when they tell you one of your tires is low, it's a lie because one of them's broken, and it's going to cost you more money now to fix it. (laughs) All those fancy gadgets, they're going to cost you more money. So um, the newer, newer cars, some of the really nice ones you could push buttons on your dash and it'll tell you the pressures in each four of your tires. I'm like, they should do that on all the cars. I'm like, don't tell me one of my tires is low. I have to go around and check all of them. <laughs> so tell me which one's low. So, uh, right. So check your, check your fluids. Okay. And then, okay. Um, so because we live in the desert we have some extra maintenance requirements. So when I lived in Virginia, there was an exhaust shop on every street corner. Here, there's a transmission shop on every street corner because heat kills transmissions. And I love this little chart. If if your transmission fluid and transmission gets too hot, it shortens the life of your transmission. And most transmissions here, they work really hard in the heat. And so, if you look in your owner's manual, it will never tell you to ever change your transmission fluid. Well, you live in the desert, so I usually recommend thirty to 60,000 miles. You should be draining it and refilling it and flushing it if necessary and things like that. So, um, yeah. And unnecessary services. So, <laughs> wallet flushes. So... If you notice, transmission flushes up there, that shouldn't be there for us. But injector flushes, there's injector cleaner in the gas you buy. You don't need to clean your injectors unless there's a problem. Intake cleaning, you don't need to do that, oh, unless you bought a modern GDI, gas direct injection. Some of them you have to clean out your induction services like every 30,000 miles. But usually do it when you have a problem. So engine flush, And then there's power steering flush and brake fluid flush. And I'll give you the example of the brake fluid flush. In Virginia, I worked at a Porsche dealer. And every year we would flush all the brake fluid out. Because brake fluid absorbs water from the air. (laughs) So we don't have any water in our air. (laughs) And the reason it was important on the Porsches, because each brake caliper cost five hundred dollars So if they wore out because of the water, then, you know, that's expensive. But your car has a really cheap brake caliper. And so for the most part, brake fluid flushes are kind of unnecessary. So, all right. Uh, And premium gas. Don't waste your money on premium gas. I know Ron has to buy premium gas because he has a WRX. But most of you don't have the need for premium gas. It's not going to make your car last longer. It's not going to make it run better. It's just going to empty your wallet. So yeah, makes you feel better. Uh, Air filters. I don't think I have a slide for that, do I? No, I don't. Um, Air filters are changed way too often. My wife's, I don't know, five cars ago, she had a Buick and You could never even find the air filter. I didn't even know it had one. It was so buried. And one day, I finally found it and pulled it out, and it was just as black as you could imagine. And the car ran perfectly fine. It doesn't hurt your gas mileage. If you had a carbureted car from the 70s, it would hurt your gas mileage. Fuel-injected cars, they don't care. Don't replace your air filter every time it gets dusty. So, yeah, yeah. Anyway, okay. Um, Cooling system problems, a big concern in the desert. We have a lot of heat here, and so you don't want to be like this. So my, I don't know if I have a bicycle. Yeah, so my analogy is a bicycle. If you're riding on your bicycle, and you're just tooling down the road on your bicycle, everything's fine. You're not hot, and then you start hitting a hill like you're going up Mount Lemmon. Is your car going to get hot going up Mount Lemon? Oh, yes. So uh, is your car going to get hot if you're towing something? <laughs> yes, yes, it is. If you turn on the air conditioner, your car gets hot. So um, this is Death Valley. And you see You'll see signs like this in California when you're going up those long, steep grades in the desert, and they tell you to turn off your air conditioner. So, so you have a gauge on your dash, and you're driving around, and you're in the desert. You've got your air conditioning on. You're zooming up the mountain, and you look down, and it's like, wow, it's getting hot. First thing you should do is turn off the air conditioner. And... and uh If you go super fast, it's hard on your car and it'll make your car run hotter. So slowing down will make your car go cooler. And the other one is like if you're going up the mountain, like in Arizona, we go a lot of trips and you're going up a long, steep grade and it's getting hotter and hotter and hotter and your temperature gauge is going up and there's a semi doing 20 miles an hour. Oh my gosh, I can't get in. It's going to overheat. And you get up to the top and there's this place you could pull over to check your brakes and stuff. Do not pull over go over the hill and down. On the other side, your temperature gauge is going to (laughs) go just like you would on a bicycle. You don't stop at the top when you're hot. You go down the other side and cool off. So, okay. Uh, Oh, all right. Here's a big education. I could not find any pictures on the internet for this. So I had to draw my own. So, On the left is the radiator, in the middle is the engine, and on the right is the heater core. And the water is circulating everywhere, and there's a little fan. And up at the top, up at the top of the engine, there's a little coolant temp sensor, and it feeds the gauge, and everything's happy. It's full of coolant, and the temperature gauge is right in the middle where it's supposed to be. So then the the water level goes down a little bit. And it gets a little hotter in there. And your temperature gauge goes up towards the hot. Look, there's a leak. See that little drip? Yeah. So your water level's going down and your temperature gauge is going up. And so what do you do? Do you pull over? No, you pray to Jesus. (laughs) So. (laughs) And you pray to Jesus. And then you drive a little bit lower. And look at your temperature gauge. It's back in the normal range. Thank you, Jesus. It's fixed. It is not fixed. The water has gone down so low that it's no longer touching the temperature sensor, which is at the top of your engine. It reads normal now. It's a deceptive thing. So it's like cooling system things. If your car starts running hot, turn off the air conditioner, drive slower, you know, and um, let's go backwards. So. The heater over there, you see the radiator in the front? It's got a fan on it. The heater over there is a little radiator. It has a fan on it too. So if you really get hot, you turn off the air conditioner, turn your heater on. It's a little radiator. It'll make your temperature start coming down. But if you go a little bit farther, when the water level drops, now look, there's air in that top pipe. It's not flowing. The first thing you lose generally when you get low on coolant, your heater doesn't work. So if your heater doesn't work, you should probably check your coolant level. Something to think about. So, oh, my goodness, brakes. Oh, my goodness, too much to talk about. Um, Brakes, you're not going to die if your brakes make noise. So in the movies, your brakes fail, you look like this. That rarely ever happens. Rarely ever happens. Yeah. Yeah. If your brake light comes on and you've taken off the emergency brake, you're low on brake fluid. Check your brake fluid level. And if you're low on brake fluid, you should have your brakes checked. Um, When you're coming down a mountain, this is the Salt River Canyon, don't ride your brake the whole way down. That's one thing that will cause your brakes to to fail, is boiling your brake fluid. I did that in 10... Anyway, North Carolina, I was riding my brakes, and then I had no brakes, and it just, like, it wouldn't stop at all. Um, You're supposed to use the shifter and downshift. Go from drive to three to slow your engine down, and that'll keep you from having to ride your brakes the whole way down. ABS, if your ABS light comes on, it's anti-lock braking system. You still have brakes. You don't have anti-lock brakes, so you should avoid ice and snow, So, uh, But your brakes will still work perfectly fine. So, no start. um, No start. So if you turn on, you get in the car, it won't start. If there's no lights at all on your dash, then your battery's dead or the connection's bad. If there's lights but there's no noise, do you have it in park? It won't start unless it's in park or neutral. Or, do you have the right key? Or... (laughs) Is the alarm triggered? If it has a single click, you turn the key and it goes click, click. So it's probably a bad starter. And if it has click multiple clicks, click, 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 your, your battery's dead. You need to charge it or jumpstart it. Uh, if it cranks, but it won't start, it's probably the fuel pump or you're out of gas. Um, and your options are wait, jump, start, or tow it. Um, corroded battery terminal is one of my pet peeves. What works really good for this is to pour boiling water on it. It won't hurt your battery, and it'll just make that stuff disappear. Um, Cars are complicated. There's lots of warning lights on your car. (laughs) So the big one's check engine light. Um, How much time do I have? Oh, man. Give me me two more minutes. Okay. (laughs) So... In the old days, this is my, one of my first cars, and don't, don't use cruise control on the ice. Um, <laughs> the engines were really simple. Cars were so simple. I didn't even have to crawl underneath my car to change the oil. I could just kick a pan under there and do it all from the top. It was so easy. And then in the 70s and 80s, they added fuel injection. You know why they added fuel injection? To make your car run better? No. Emissions, gas mileage. That's the only reason they added all this complicated stuff. So um, so they added all this stuff, and then the first early fuel-injected cars, there was no diagnostics. Your car would just shut off, and you get it towed in, and there would be like a box of parts, and you would randomly keep trying parts until you find one that was bad, and that now the car starts. So then they came out with, oh, there's, there's no magic wand. We use a scanner. And then they had like, In the beginning, every manufacturer had its own connector. So we had like 30 connectors. Oh, it's a Honda connector or the Nissan, or the early Nissan, or the Late Nissan, and then Congress passed a law. 1996 and newer, every single car sold in the United States has to have one connector. Yay, Congress did something great. So now you can plug in your scanner. One scanner does every single car out there. And the vast majority of, oh, is it running bad and your check engine light's on? If it's not running bad and your light's on, ignore it. Is it it flashing? Pull over, stop. If not, just keep driving because the vast majority of them have to do with the emission system, which collects the vapors off of your gas tank and burns them down your engine. And if you overfill your gas tank, you keep going click, 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 you'll fill up the charcoal canister and ruin it. And that'll cause... And tires, three, uh, five years in Tucson, because they dry rot all the time. Uh, what does that say? Oh, intermittent problems. Yeah, anyway, I'm done, I guess. Oh, yeah.